I can really only talk about like where I am, you know, <laughs> I can only actually, I mean, I've never been good at doing uh, three point sermons. I've only ever just like read the pages of my heart. And, you know, so I just, I've, I've been carrying this, this message that's just been fermenting in me for, you know, the last year or so. And it's been a funny journey for me because I keep thinking there's no way like this thing's going to keep dragging out for me. And it's like, I just didn't realize how undead I, I like I am. Like I'm not totally like giving in to what the Lord's doing, but I'm coming to you literally in this place, declaring like a, like a, a prophetic herald of, of, you know, this could be a TBN message for the first five minutes because I'm literally here to tell you like blessing, increase, favor, and promotion is coming for 2019. Cure, cue the yell and the shout hallelujah yeah for God is coming to bless you I see he's coming to give you the glory oh you've all your bills will be paid said God see I see God's promoting you in this season and it's so funny because, man, literally in 2018, I, I'm, I hear the same, like, New Year message. And I'm like, you would have thought, you would have thunk that, that by after 20, 30 years, you know, in the church, we could come up with something better or new or fresher going into the new year than God said he's going to bless you going into the new year. But the thing is... I always, I think we receive the word. God really is going to bless us and promote us, but he's going to promote us via the wilderness. And I think when we hear bigger sometimes, I don't know why it is our paradigm takes a word that things are about to get big. Things are about to explode. Things are, you're about to be promoted. I wonder why we always think of that in terms of, of our own personal destiny, or should I say the idol of our own personal destiny, and the paradigm of how we view God blessing us. We hear bigger, and we think being known by more people, but why is it when we get the word for bigger, we don't think God's going to enlarge our heart and not our ministry? What if God said, I'm about to promote you in the kingdom, not just before men? Because I, I feel like what the Lord keeps speaking, even over my life, it seems like he would speak a word, and my paradigm in which I received that word was totally smashed by what actually happened. I mean, guys, listen, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of churches this year, and, you know, we've, we've, we've gone you know, uh, to different countries and so on, and everywhere I go, I get a word. Brother, I just see God exploding. You're like, something is just enlarging your territory. And I would go, and no, nothing of the sort is actually happening like that. And so I would say, God, what is going on in my secret place? And the Lord said, oh, I am doing all those things. But why did you think when I said I was going to enlarge you, you thought your ministry and not your heart, not your love for your family? What about the, the revival in your home? And it's amazing because literally we've been worshiping in our home, you know, and we've always really, really uh, done that and, and to, the, to different varying degrees. But lately, man, I mean, we've just every week been worshiping in our home and, and getting the kids together and making it just really real. 
And you know, um, if you do lead worship, I know there's quite a few of you in here on the worship team, you can relate. Like, if you can lead your preschoolers and toddlers into worship, you can lead anybody into worship. Because you'd be in the most spiritual place. You'd be like, Shondabaka, if you touch him again, I'm going to snap your... Literally, you know what I mean? I mean, my wife knows. Like, we'll literally be sitting there like, just, you know, I'm just like, you know, how great is... I'm going to knock you out. You touch her again. It's the most like real life thing, you know, and God is just pouring out in my family and God is, and my kids are prophesying and my, my little girls are just, are literally, um, the most worshiping, a completely like we have not provoked them to do maybe provoked spiritually, but we've never like, you know, bent their arm to try to worship, but they are just blossoming into just pure hearted worshipers. My son will be, you know, eating an ice cream cone, playing with Spider-Man, and the very next minute he's prophesying to his dad, you know, like, and, and just crazy stuff like that. And I just wonder if it, if it would be a good thing to do to, to have the wineskin that worked in the past, that held the wine in the past, to maybe actually begin to shift and say, if we're going to get the new thing God pours out, we have to have a new paradigm to hold it. See, a wineskin is a container. And a wineskin, I believe when Jesus was asked by the disciples of the Pharisees or the disciples of John and the Pharisees, they said, how come they fast and you guys don't? And Jesus gave this whole parable about the wineskin. He said, you can't pour a new thing into an old paradigm. You, you can't do that because if you try, and I learned this. I learned this in San Francisco because, you know, I had this idea of what it would look like when God would pour out. And I remember God teaching me through a lot of my disappointment and what I thought he didn't do to actually focus on what he was doing, but it didn't fit my paradigm. And so I, in a way, I was missing the new wine coming out because my old mindset of what had worked in the past would no longer work with the new thing he was pouring out. And so you say, well, man, and this is what we do. We, we, we've heard often about camping out in encounter, right? And we, we, we have this thing where what worked in the past, we, we believe that God would do that again. And I believe that the, the, the principles of God are true. But God doesn't really want another Toronto. I think he wants a Corpus Christi. <laughs> I mean... I don't, I don't, I think that, you know, when we talk about getting other people's mantles and they did this and they did that, what about your mantle? And, you know, one of the things I've been realizing is that when God, and God has been doing this to me and it's incredibly painful and it's incredibly uncomfortable and it's awkward. It's awkward. A revival is filled with awkwardness. And like when we want to fill all the space is when we, we edge him out oftentimes. And we say we want presence, you know, but really the wild presence of God is not something to be controlled like a genie in a lamp. You know, we don't rub the lamp when we're ready. It's like we, we almost treat the presence of God like this in our, in our churches sometimes. We, we say, okay, get the music going, get the lights cued, get everything, and we're going to hype this thing. What we're going to do is we're going to rub our lamp. We're going to get the presence, get the goosebumps. Oh, 
we're done. Let's go ahead. Let's put him back in the lamp and let's move on. I don't want a presence that can be controlled. I really am looking for a presence that I can be controlled by. But in order to do that, I have to be willing to, number one, endure the awkwardness, the pain, and sometimes even humiliation of God teaching me about a new wineskin. Because if I'm going to, because here's what happens. If you're paradigm of how God moved in your life in the past, if you carry that in to the new thing that God wants to pour out on your life and you try to hold it, not only are you going to lose what he's trying to do in that new move, that new wine, but you're also going to have your paradigm broken open. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want your, he wants you to be able to move with him and I, I've just, I believe we're going into a year that, that is going to be incredible, but totally not how we thought it would be. If there's one certainty about the promise of God over your life, I believe it's this. It will look nothing like what you thought it would. That's the only certain thing you can be sure of is that what, you know, God has promised you won't look like what you thought it would look like. Now, I want to I start in Matthew 4, and I want to just jump into this. And here's what I want to say. Um, we're gonna, you know this scripture, Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So the Spirit led Jesus not only into the wilderness, but what else did the Spirit do? He led Jesus to be tempted, right? Now, we all know this story, so uh, if you don't know the story, you'll have to go home and read your Bibles. But what happens is Satan begins, the enemy begins to tempt Jesus, and this is how he does it. And he does it three times this way. He says, if you're really who you think you are, prove it. If you're really who you say and think you are, then prove it. And that voice has never been so real for many of us in this last season. Example. This, and, and the first thing, it's awesome that Brad has been speaking about this the whole time because it's like the first thing we do when we get to the wilderness is we, our theology is jacked because we go, there's no way God's led me here. There's no way he has done this. I missed the path somewhere. I missed this thing. I missed this thing somewhere along the road. There's no way he would have led me here with nothing. But here's what's more. You, you, and here's what I thought. I thought, well, okay, I began to see about a year and a half ago the Lord led me into the wilderness. I thought it was lead me into, I thought it was glory to glory. I thought, but I didn't realize that it wasn't a glory that I thought it, it would look like. The greatest act of ministry of all time is the Son of God dying on a cross, deserted by his friends, left by everyone. The single greatest act of ministry all time, of all time looked like failure. Makes you wonder if the guy with the microphone in front of uh, thousands of people or everybody knowing your name is really as powerful as we think it is. And the thing about it is, is I not only got to the wilderness, I said, okay, I'm in the wilderness. Let's get through this thing as quickly as possible. <laughs> and I literally set up times in my mind. We're going to be out of this in three months, baby. You just hold on. <laughs> three months. And we then we thought, well, we just got to get out, get to the next place. If we can just get to the next place, then it'll all break open. Oh, my God, we're still in the wilderness. And then, and then what's worse is when you finally realize you're not coming out for a while, that's when the enemy comes and starts saying this. If you really are who you thought you were all along, uh, go ahead and prove it. Prove it. In other words, 
oh, you think you're a worship leader. You've got words about being a worship leader. Why isn't anyone inviting you to come lead worship? Why aren't you on the worship team at church if you're a worship leader? Oh, you got a word. You, you had a promise about being a businessman, about, being, about having wealth in the kingdom. From what I see, <laughs> that's not so true. So if it, so, this is what happens. The voice comes to you in your lowest place and says, if you really are who you thought you were and who God said you were, prove it. The temptation in the wilderness is to prop yourself up to try and prove you are who you are instead of simply believing what the Word says you are. And you listen, it is illegal to prove your identity in the wilderness by outward natural ways. It's, it's illegal. Once you, in the wilderness, when you hear this as the, not only the voice of the enemy in your mind, you'll hear it from peers. And you'll hear it from people. And you'll hear it from Job's friends. And they'll say, well, you know, if you didn't mess up, and, and, if, and if, you're, if you really are who you, you say you are, you're called to be a pastor. You're called to plant many churches. You're called to have revival. Well, everything in your life right now looks completely opposite. So prove you are who you say you are. And when you cannot prove it but simply say as Jesus, this is what Satan did. If you're really the Son of God, go ahead and turn this rock to bread. And the temptation of Jesus wasn't about proving Satan wrong. It was winning the battle of his identity in a dry place. Because identity is not identity when you're flying high. It is really easy when everybody loves you and is lauding you with praise and everything's going right. That is not the time where your identity is set in stone. It's not, that's not, that's, that means nothing. As a matter of fact, here's the deal. Your identity, it becomes concrete in the wilderness when you say, I can't prove a thing about what I know I am and who he said I am, but the word said this. This is the truest thing. It's so easy to believe the word when everything's flying high, but when everything's going wrong and you can't prove who you are, oh, you're a preacher. Where are you preaching at? And what a lot of people do in that place is this, and I've felt the temptation, is, and the world says this, you got to hustle this thing, man. Hustle, 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 hustle. Get your hustle on. Motivational quote. Instagram, 10,000. Motivational quote. Here's what's happening. That's the devil. I mean, if there's any, the, 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 the devil can use social media against you because you'd be comparing your real life to everybody else's highlights, right? What they want you to see. If you're really the son of God, go ahead and jump off this temple. Surely the angels will catch you up. Then he starts using the word, the word of God even. Well, the word says you'd prosper glory to glory. There's no way I'm in the will of the Lord. Satan starts using the word against you, right? And then you begin to think, oh my, it's the constant battle of, Am I really in the will of God? Have I missed it somewhere? Or is what God said to me true? Oftentimes, we're such a culture that is a, we're a, we're a swiping culture, especially millennials, man. We swipe that social media, and we get constant, constant, quick, temporary satisfaction. And much in the same way, it's like the Word of God. Much in the same way, it's like the Word. Go to James 1 real quick. 
It's it's like it's like we're we get a word, we get an encounter, and we're we've moved on from it as soon as it's happened. We get a word, we get an encounter, and we've moved on as soon as it's happened because we actually don't treat the word with the respect that it deserves, and namely, we we do ourselves a disservice and we kill ourselves when we don't remember what God has spoken over us, not because it's a word from God only, but because he gives it to us as a weapon for when that voice comes. So the voice comes and says, wait, you you really think you're supposed to be this or that and the other? Well, listen, no one cares. So prove you are. If you give in to the temptation of trying to prop up your identity in the wilderness, it will only end ultimately in you serving Satan's plan for your life rather than God's. Because the final temptation was this. Bow down and worship me, Jesus. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. You remember? What you need to realize is that in Psalm 2, the Father speaks to the Son. And this is what he says. He says, ask me for the nations and I'll give them to you as your inheritance. Do you know that before time began, the reward of the Lamb is you. It's the nations of the earth being coming unto the Lamb, unto Jesus. That was Jesus' heart's desire. This was the joy set before him while he endured the cross. So when Satan asks him this, he's saying he's playing on the deepest heart's desire, the core of his destiny. He plays on it, and he says, if you'll just do it my way, I'll give it to you now. And what happens is he offers him the ultimate call and destiny of his life without the road to the cross. Go this way, get it now. And Jesus has to know, even if in a glimmer, even if in a shadow at that point, he has to know, if I don't do it this easier way, I'm going to have to end up going to a cross to get the same thing. Because Satan, we know, had the deed to the earth. We know that Satan could have handed that over to Jesus. That's the crazy thing about it. Jesus actually knows it's not a false promise. He's sitting there going, I worship you. And really, this is what it all comes down to. What path are you going to choose? If you choose to prop yourself up and make it work for you and hustle your way out of the wilderness and try to get what God's already promised you through his word, a different way than him exalting you. Remember, it says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. Humble yourself that he may exalt you in due time. But if you take the other route, and trust me, many take the other route. Many take the other route. We are all in danger of taking the other route. But this test and temptation, Jesus was literally led by the Spirit to to undergo this test and temptation. And the reason why is because from this place of testing, he would choose the road to his ultimate fulfillment, his destiny. Now, I want to tell you this about the word. I told you to go to James 1. Now, James 1 says this, this about identity. Because I want to, I want to kind of take off the Christianese that we talk about when it comes to identity. We say, well, brother, you got you to gotta know your identity in Christ. Praise God. I know who I am. I'm a son. Great. Wonderful. Now, go into the furnace of affliction. Go into the desert where you have nothing to prove you're a son, and you only believe the word. That's where you become a son. You, you don't. You don't really become that until it's real. I just love like, you know, <laughs> when you've actually gone through it, when you've actually gone through it, and I've watched obviously men who've come out on the other side, and I'm, I'm just thinking there's something gained in that place that you can't fake. There's just no way to fake it. James 1 says this, and uh, verse 22, 
But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. This scripture is this picture. The word of God is like a mirror. When you hear the word, it's like seeing who you really are. But a man who doesn't do what he knows, it's like this. It's more important for you to do the word you know than to know the word you hear. A person that doesn't do the word is like a man who sees his identity but immediately turns away and forgets. And when that happens, guess what you go into? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? You have to constantly live by the next prophetic word, the next conference, the next thing, constantly trying to remind yourself of who you are. But when you, the, the opposite is true. When you do what the word has said to do, then in that place, you actually cement your identity of who you are. You remember who you are. You remember, and, and I feel God will never take you into wilderness without giving you word. He won't take you to a place of dryness and testing without the answers to pass the test. That's the truth. Jesus had to have known these scriptures and had to cherish the scriptures. He couldn't fight the devil on the grounds of his 40-day fast. He couldn't fight the devil on the grounds of, of anything other than the word. He had to say, I know what God said. It has to be true. I got promises right now that it seems like everything, everything around me screams, screams at me. There's no way that's true. There's no way. Wake up. The jig's up, man. The game's up. It's over. That voice is screaming in my ear. It's over, Chris. You're not who you thought you were. You're crazy. You've, you've literally lost it. You've lost it. You didn't hear God. Look around you. How could you have heard God if you are where you are right now? And again, I'm in no, it's not like, it'd be, it'd be a little easier if I was in some sort of major sin or something. But I'm like, Lord, I feel like I've done everything you said to do. I mean, I know, you know, I'm not perfect, but God, I've tried to follow your word at every turn. And it seems like the more I say yes, the deeper down I go. You're, it's up. This is my, I've heard this. It's up. The game, it's up, buddy. The jig's up. And I've been waiting because I'll tell you, when I was 19 and someone invited, I wasn't raised in church. So when someone told me, when I found out people invited me to a church, and paid me $50 in a cheese pizza to sing to Jesus, I thought, this is the gig right here. <laughs> and when it started paying our bills, I said, there's no way. I literally had this thought. There's no way this is going to keep up. There's no way that I'm going to be able to keep this. And God said, I want you to trust me with everything. You're, I'm going to completely take care of you by just being a, being a messenger. This is what you're going to do. And I said, I didn't even know what itinerant was. I didn't know what it was. I didn't ask for it. I didn't go to ministry school, and, and that was my great dream. I got caught up into this thing. And, and, and literally, I'm sitting here thinking recently, like, the jig's up. The jig is up. <laughs> FedEx. I'm looking, what am I going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to, like, I'm going to work in the coal mines. I'm, I'm going. My daddy was a painter, you know. And all the while, there's a smaller voice, and that smaller voice is saying, you know who you are. You know who you are. You know who you are. I'm here. 
I'm right here in all this. But then there's the loud voices screaming. And we often, we often think the crucible of, of uh, and, and, the, and the furnace of affliction is going to be shorter than it, than it is. Would you, say, would you agree with that? <laughs> you always think, well, shoot, this will be just a bad day. Well, that's a bad week, bad, rough month, rough year, next year. And then you realize God's looking for something. God's looking for something inside of you, and the Word has to become so real in you where you become almost naive to every other voice. Let every other voice be a liar and God be truth. It's like He's forcing you to, I, to cement your identity because the Bible says every word of the Lord must be tested. And here's where I want to go with you. I want to go with this. Uh, something the Lord's been teaching me is, and, and, and I'm going to just spit off some scriptures. You don't have to go here. I'm just going to uh, do a few more through the whole lesson, but I just want to just call this out because to me, it's really a live scripture. It's Colossians 3, and you know, it goes along a lot with Galatians 2.20, you know, uh, no longer I who live, but Christ living in me, and uh, Siri, I don't need you yet. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll talk. She just turned on, um, but Colossians 3, you ever try to lead Siri to the Lord? You're not saved then. Colossians 3, verse 1. If you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Listen to this. For you died. Man, is that a great scripture. You died. You died. And if you ain't dead, you'll be dead soon. Died. I prophesy death. No, I'm kidding. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears or is revealed, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you want to know what this means? Guys, when you chose to follow Jesus and you chose to give everything to him, you died. Your life is hidden in Christ. If you want to find out who you really are, you got to find out who he really is. Because your life is hidden, not from you, but for you. And God wants you in the intricacy of his design of creation. If you'll seek him, you'll find you. If you'll find him, you'll find you. The problem is intimacy is often so far from the daily Christian life that we oftentimes are wandering around like blind sons and daughters. And the, the, the answer is this. The answer is not you finding out you. The answer is finding out him, and then you become more clear. Because here's something we have to address. In an age of millennials where we have some of the greatest potential of any other generation, and we have just the most incredible tools and, 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 and cutting-edge technology at our fingertips, I want to say this, that oftentimes there's an idol in our minds of a ministry idol, even a personal destiny idol, where we would be willing to trade everything for our own personal destiny. And that is an idol, and I'll tell you why. You are, your destiny is not what you'll one day do. Your destiny is not what you'll do. Because truly, here's the truth about it all. Listen, ministry isn't what you do. It's who you are. So if ministry's who you are and not what you do, then destiny isn't what you'll do. It's who you're becoming. If ministry is who you are and not what you do, then destiny is not what you'll one day do, but who you're becoming. So destiny, So what happens is we oftentimes have this thing where we're willing to trade. You know, listen, I, I believe in the seven mountains, and I, and I love that whole teaching, but here's another flip side to the coin to that. The valley is where the people are. So I don't know what you want to do with that. 
And uh, moving on. But like I said, I mean, look, here, here's my deal. Here's my deal. My thing is this. I, I, I believe that we're, we're to take, you know, the mountains, all that good stuff. Great. That's wonderful. But here's what I believe more than that. More than our own personal destiny and playing king of the hill, you know what I think we should be doing? I think we should be obsessed with Jesus' destiny because you will find no greater reward than fulfilling his destiny. And though your personal promises might be the puzzle piece in the grand picture, your fulfillment will not come from your own personal destiny, but rather knowing you are perfectly in line with fulfilling the reward of the Lamb. This is the truth. This is the truth. Oftentimes we're saying, I, I'm called to be at the top of this mountain, and I'm going to step on everybody's head. I have to to get to the top, be a devil when I get there. But hey, you know, I'll take the mountain. And so we're going to get there, and when we get there, we're going to do a lot of good. We don't realize we've traded a lot of things to get to the top instead of just saying this. If he takes me to the top, it'll be him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just be faithful to say, God, I want to fulfill your destiny. You know what your ultimate calling in life is? It's to be the living embodiment and manifestation of the reward of the Lamb. His reward is your heart. So if his reward is your heart, then you can, you can walk in your destiny right now. Destiny is not a place you're going to get to, and you're going to go, we made it. We made it. Moving on up. We made it. We got there. We got what we, we can now breathe easy. We've made it to the place where everything's easy. I want to tell you, you can start walking in your destiny right now. I, 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 will, I will say this to you. If you think that where you're, wanting to go is going to fulfill you, we should just burst the bubble now and tell you everything you think you want is not going to make you fulfilled. There's only one thing that's going to make you fulfilled, and it's, it's literally fulfilling his call, and his reward, again, is your intimacy. His reward is your heart being fully surrendered to him. This is the joy of his heart. This is the reward of the lamb that you would be fully submitted, possessed, controlled, and surrendered to his call. This is his ultimate desire. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the day. He's put a garden inside of you, guys. He's put a garden. He wants to walk with you in that place. Everything will flow out of that place. But if we trade personal, promo, personal promotion for, for what God wants to do corporately, I believe we're going to miss it. I want to take you to the final place I'm going to just, just teach you about tonight. And it's this. It's in Exodus 32. And I just want to expound a little on this tonight. And I want to talk to you about a crazy story. If you want to read, you know, uh, something to jack your theology up, read the Old Testament. The Old Testament jacks your theology up. It really does. And I think God is really in this new season looking for friends who can stand before him and change history. Not men with microphones, but friends in secret will change history. I love the call that God gives to every one of us to change history through simple intimacy and obedience in that place. Now, let's, let's just go through something. And I want to show you about personal promotion and corporate outpouring. Okay? And I want to talk to you about generations, and I want to talk to you about legacy, and I want to give a word to this house about God using you to take territory. Here's the thing. Your personal promotion 
Your dream of being a rock star in whatever form or fashion it is, I promise you, will not take territory. Because God has intertwined and created this thing in such a way that territories are only taken by generations. And that means this, that we are not living for a personal destiny that dies with us, and then it starts all over and a new generation has to find it. It's supposed to go glory to glory, not just in your personal life, but in the generations. God is concerned very, very, very clearly about these two things, territories being taken and generations working together to move to that point. And we, I, I was joking with the guys talking about end times. I said, I'm going to talk about end time stuff, but that's not true. I will just say this though about end times. Our view of end times at least has to give us room to be able to dream generationally. If our end times view of how this whole thing's going to wrap up it means that he could just come back, you know, any old time. And, well, we're just going to live like any old time he's coming back. If our view is truly in that nature, it will oftentimes apprehend us from believing that Rock City could be around 300 years from now. And so all I want to say about end times is this. Let's not look at how bad the world's getting as a sign of when he's coming back. Let's look at how beautiful the church is getting as a sign to when he's coming back. Because it says he's coming back for a bride without a spot or wrinkle. So let's look at the church and say, God, I want to beautify your bride to near your return. Do you understand? In lieu of that, I digress, I want to see us building something that could last for hundreds of years. The issue happens when rock star Christianity creeps into our mentality and paradigm, we begin to think this, I just need to do what God's called me to do. Me to do. Me, 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 me. And what God does in the wilderness is kill your me. He kills your me. So where by the time you actually get what he promised you, all you care about is giving it to the next. He's trying to move us from friends to fathers and mothers. And friends will always turn to fathers and mothers. And the reason why is because God graduates us, right, in our walk. We start almost as blind servants. Hopefully blind, wild, fiery, zealous, you know, servants. But Jesus said a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but a friend knows what a master is doing and why he's doing it. You understand? So we understand that, that, that connection that, you know, servants know that God can do it, but friends know that God will do it. There's a certain why added to it. When you graduate to this friendship place, you never leave servanthood, you understand, but you grow in your relationship with God. In the same way, it's funny because you, if you ever, if you ever read books about, you know, life and there's books about, you know, growing as a man and, and, and certain leadership books and it, it always, there's this thing you'll read about where they say people in, especially, you know, men in the first 30, 40 years of their life are constantly trying to attain to goals. They're trying to get personal accomplishments, but at the midway point of their life, they have this sort of epiphany where, look, it's not any more longer about me. My goals didn't really fulfill me. And the only thing that really fulfills them is pouring into the next and giving it away to the next. And so what I want to say to that is if we're really going to take territories, we have to have generations. So you can't run hard, whether it's ministry, business, your own destiny, your own promise. You can't run so hard after that that you leave all of your family, your personal family, your church family, your spiritual sons and daughters. You can't run so hard that you leave them in the dust trying to get what you thought was going to make you happy. And all along, you're never going to take territory because your ministry and dreams are going to die with you because you didn't give anything to the next. And what happens is like this. 
if this church is built around personality, if it were built around one man's gifting, then what happens if when that person dies and passes on? Well, then how many times have we seen ministries die because it was built around that? God is injecting a new paradigm into the heart of the church in this hour, and this is what he's saying. He's saying this thing needs to be planned out. You need a 300-year a vision. You need a 400. You need a vision so large in scope you could never accomplish it. Remember Hebrews 11, it says at the end, It says, the fathers of the faith, the mothers of the faith died without receiving the promise. And if you don't believe me, you can look that up. It's the last verse of Hebrews 11. It says, for they died never receiving the promise. What if I told you that the biggest promises you've been given, you'll never see fulfilled? But it says this to finish it off in Hebrews 11. It says this. It says, so that we who come after could be the fulfillment of their dream, their promise, because he had something better for us. Do you understand? We need to start dreaming of Corpus like, what about in 200 years, we have a a, a no homeless policy in the whole city? What about a a drive-through prophetic word? People come in to the very region of Corpus and they get healed and they say, oh, you have cancer? Just drive, drive down through Corpus, you'll be healed. Angels are around there. Oh, you you don't believe in the supernatural? Drive into Flower Bluff. You're going to see angels sitting on top of buildings and things. And it's just total manifestation of wild things. But see, what if your dream can't be accomplished in your lifetime? Then you have to start building in such a way as to facilitate the generations carrying on the dreams of your heart. And that means... You cannot give in to personal promotion versus corporate outpouring. Let me teach. Verse 10, Exodus 32. Now, this is what's happening. And this is just crazy, but I want you to just follow how absolutely insane this is. This is the Bible. This really happened. Think about this. God is, comes to Moses and says this. God comes to Moses. I just love that the Bible doesn't give a flip what you think. Sometimes the Bible flips you off in your theology. I'll put it better. Sometimes the Bible flips your theology off. It says, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you thought. Let me. This is what the Bible says. God comes to Moses in this scripture, and he says this to Moses. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. He's talking about the nation of Israel. And I may consume them. And I'll make of you a great nation. Now, we want to read that Charlton Heston style. Like, now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, Moses. And I will make of you a great nation. But this is what God's saying in 2018. Hey, Moses. These people wiling out. And here's what's going to happen. I'm so angry, I can't take it anymore. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to kill all of them and start over with you. If there were ever a word for personal promotion, this is it. (laughs) Imagine, 2018, modern church terms. Picks one of you out of the church and says, Hey, what's up? And you're like, I'm going to kill the whole church and start over with you. And some of you would say, about time. <laughs> you little devil. I know, I see it in the spirit. Some of you's devils. I'm just kidding. In the spirit, some of you's devils. 
I'm going to kill the church and start over with you. Better yet, he'd be like coming to, to David and saying, hey, it's time to do It's time. We're going to kill them all and start over with you. And what happens is this, is that most of you would think we read the Bible so elegantly, right? So, so pretty. And we forget the raw, just nature, the gritty nature, the real rock-in-your-shoe nature of the Bible, of God coming to Moses and literally saying, I want to, I'm going to destroy all of it. Most of us don't even have enough friendship with God. We wouldn't even question. We'd say, well, according to your word, Lord, let it be. I'm just, I'm just believing the word, brother. How's that for your formulas? How's that for your, for your, you know, we talk about the word and obeying the word, but what if there's such a thing? What if this were a test? Now, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to, to, that he may be tempted. Now, we know the Bible says God tempts no man himself, but he has this little pawn he uses called the enemy to do some of these things for him. Rather, I say, without getting too theological, and all you theological woodpeckers coming out of the woodwork literally after this message, let's just put it this way. He at least allows it, okay? Okay? You can email me after if you disagree, but here's the point. I won't, I won't read it anywhere. It'd be junk mail. But here's what happens. He, he, he literally leads Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted, right, because of identity. And what does he do to Moses? Moses is in a dry wilderness place. We often forget that he doesn't want to be there. If you, if you think about this, like if you're a leader, the last, I don't care if you're the leader of your, your family, put it in, in this terms, like a, a dad taking your kids on a 10-hour trip, right? You want the trip to be over as soon as possible. All the murmuring and complaining. I sometimes, I'm just, how much longer? And I'm just like, Father, it's time to strike them down. <laughs> like, you know, create a new, I can make new ones. Let's go. <laughs> Moses doesn't want to be in the wilderness. So don't, he's not, he's not on the beach drinking a martini. He's not like, we're just chilling in the wilderness. He's like, I want to get out of here into the promised land. It ain't like they came from, from, from glory. You know, they came from slavery through that. And that's what God will do when he takes you out of slavery. He'll deliver you, and then he'll teach you to follow his presence until there's nothing else to live for. You live for nothing else but to follow him. And until you learn that, you don't get to the promise. But, but furthermore, he literally says, I'm going to destroy everybody. I'm going to start over with you. How does history change if Moses accepts this, first of all? Because you're standing at a time, I mean, we just have to take our, we actually have to believe the Bible's true. We actually have to take our little cute Christian glasses off for a minute and go, hold on. God of heaven and earth just offered a man. He said, if you accept this promotion, and by the way, that's promotion. I'm going to use you to start a whole nation. The only thing keeping Moses from choosing personal promotion was God's before promise of corporate blessing. Think about this. What does Moses go through after? What is Moses' response? Moses says, go to verse 13. He goes through this whole thing. He begins speaking God's own word back to God. We have such we have to we have to have reverence for the Lord as a foundation. 
There's no doubt about that. But I will tell you this right now. We also have to be willing to get real with God. Real with God. And I'm not talking about Charlton Heston Ten Commandments real with God. Because we read Moses and this is what we think. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Yes, And we're thinking how dry and regal and it all is. Instead of reading like a man who's possessed with a promise, he's actually possessed with God's Word and speaks and prays and intercedes God's own Word back to God. And listen what he says. Why? Why would he not accept that promotion? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore by yourself and said, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. Because here's what happens. You being promoted might look like addition. You might get added to in your life. But true multiplication can only happen through generations. Abraham, Isaac, Israel, you promised to multiply a whole nation and to take us into the promise. Moses is choosing corporate outpouring over personal blessing. We're so, we, I mean, I'm going to get my blessing this year. What if your greatest blessing is wrapped up in you being a blessing to a whole lot more people? What if the thing you think you wanted, man, what if the thing, how many celebrities died in 2018 who you never would have thought, you thought they were the happiest people on earth? I don't want to mention names because I, you know, I don't want to, but there, there are people that, man, I liked. How many people have you looked at and you heard a celebrity or an actor die in the last few years and you go, man, I, I just, how could they commit suicide? You, have you ever think that? There's a guy that died this past year who I loved. Now, I don't know why, I just love this guy. His job was to travel the world and eat food in front of a camera. You want, you want that job? Because I do. Go to exotic places and get to share my stupid opinion about everything while you watch me eat food, exotic food, and hang out in exotic places? Sign me up. The last thought on your mind, the last thought on your mind is that guy's got a son. He's not on dirty jobs. Micro don't know this guy. This is not a dirty job. This is the best job in the world. Come and eat for free in an exotic place and we'll pay you. And you'll be famous. Sign me up. How? To someone with the best job, you know what I'm saying? We look at these people like, man, they that just must be an amazing life. And they're utterly miserable. And the Lord gave me a dream where I literally met this man in my dream, as real as if I were seeing you in front of me. And, it, and I had a dream. And in fear of you thinking I'm crazier than I already than you already do, I literally spoke with this man for what seemed like hours. It was so real. It was like I got to know him. And in that dream, I, I, I was so heartbroken. It was after he had committed suicide, and I was heartbroken. And in that time, um, we went into this restaurant, and a man began shooting up the restaurant. And I feared for my life. It was so unbelievably real. And I jumped out, and I woke up with this, this murderer trying to literally shoot and kill me. And as soon as I woke up, the Lord said, you, the things you think are going to fulfill you in life will not, and ultimately They'll kill you if you, th if you go after them in the way that you're going after them. It's like the Lord was saving me thinking, you think the thing you want is going to fulfill you, and I promise when you get there, you'll be just as miserable as you are right now. 
Moses says this to God, remember what you promised. And then it says this, so the Lord changed his mind. I don't know what your theology is for the Lord changing. Here's a better one. It says, verse 14, so the Lord relented from the harm, which he said he would do to his people. And that, that word for relented actually means repent. Those, a certain versions actually say the Lord repented. How about you were so close to God and held on to his word so tight that in the desert place you had enough about you, you had enough vision to see others more than yourself to where you could stand before God, plead his promise, and make the Lord change his mind. I believe, here's, here's the crux of the whole thing, is that many of us are going to receive offers that look like personal promotion, and it'll be things we've ultimately always dreamed of. But here's the test. The test is actually this, is that your eyes aren't on yourself, but they're actually on others being blessed. I believe a key to corporate outpouring of revival, the presence of God coming so strong. I, I'm telling you, it feels like there's been almost a drought of, of weighty, glorious, historic presence being poured out. You know, I remember the last time, I even remember on the tail end of the, the Morning Star, we were talking about this, me and Brad, and I remember having some of the most insane encounters with God in that time. And I've, I've thought oftentimes, Lord, why is it that, that I haven't experienced such a weight of glory in so many years? God is preparing us so that we don't just have just levels of, of visitation, but where we can really actually host this thing because it's not about our own personal destiny and he's being fulfilled, but it's about a corporate people inheriting promise of revival. And I, and I actually feel like when we make the decision in our heart where we say, God, I don't care if, if I ever get the things that, you know, I think I, I want or are going to fulfill me. It's like a, he takes you through the wilderness to teach you. It's like when he come to Moses before and he says, hey, I'm taking you to the promised land, but my presence isn't going with you. How about that? I'll take you to what I've promised you because I'm faithful, but when you get there, my presence won't be around. And Moses had to choose again. What do I want, the promise or the presence? What am I going to choose, personal promotion or corporate outpouring and blessing and promise? And Moses, as a friend, chooses that place. He shows us what it looks like to choose that place as a friend for others. And I believe this is what God's doing. God is promoting us in the next year. But I believe our promotion is going to look like other people being blessed. Do you know? Paul could have been promoted to heaven. He said, I, I can't decide whether to stay or whether. He says, if I go, it's going to be good for me. And trust me, I'd rather go. But it's better for your sake that I stay. It's like, it's like we're, we're so dreaming of. Of, of the next thing that's going to finally just set us all straight. And I think we miss that, 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 that precious place where the Lord, with the Lord when our greatest fulfillment comes by seeing the, the corporate be blessed, by seeing many others. I will tell you this, if the Lord does give you a platform, it's only so that you can eventually give it away. I promise you. If the Lord gives you a platform and you don't give it away, you'll lose it. You'll lose it anyway. All, all influence and promotion the Lord gives is only so that he can, this is what the Lord does. He raises up a, a, a new radical to set a new normal. He raises up a new radical. That's why we, we see men and women in the body of Christ raised up, and we see 
what they're doing, but really it's just a symbol and a sign to the church that this is now available to all. John the Baptist was more popular than Jesus, according to the secular historian Josephus. And Josephus says and writes more about John the baptizer than he does Jesus the Christ, if you want to know the truth. John the Baptist was incredibly, incredibly popular. He was baptizing thousands and thousands every day, right? But what happened? His whole platform was given for one moment when he would pass it off to the next who would take it to the next level. And I will tell you this, what is coming cannot truly come to pass in this church. It can't come to pass in the church as a whole if we don't have fathers who are actually passing it off and giving their platform, their influence, everything they have to another. That's really all it's about. Everything's about, I'm going to get what I get so that I can ultimately give it away. And if we choose to, to not give it away, then what has been given will die with us, and it won't live on. God has intricately intertwined it. That territory can't truly be taken or occupied unless the generations are intertwined. The fathers and the sons, it's the spirit of Elijah, man. It's the spirit of Elijah. It's saying this thing won't work without family. It won't work. And if you try to do it by being a rock star and you think that's the way, listen, you're going to reap a pitiful harvest. You're going to reap a pitiful. I want to see this thing go. I just want to be able to taste it. That's my only thing. I want to be able to at least at least see it. I want to see it. Moses couldn't go in. Moses couldn't go into the promise. You know, even David, and I'll just close with this. David himself could not build the temple that God wanted to build. Because David, David was a man of war. And, and God said, you, you and what you've done, your paradigm, your whole thing, you, I'll give you the blueprints, but the son has to do it. Old men dream the dreams, but the sons have the vision to carry it out. You see what I'm saying? You, Solomon has to build this thing. So a lot of the fathers have to, are getting the blueprints in these days, and they're coming, and there's got to be sons that come alongside and say, we're going to actually live for your dream. Here's what a beautiful, beautiful thing I found is. When I live for a father's dream, I find that fulfillment I've been looking for. And usually, God will give me the personal promise, at least a taste of it, when I start living for a father's dream. I'm telling you, I mean, I've given my life, and in, in, in a portion of my life, there's a man by the name of James Ryle who had a sons of thunder word. Man, I, don't, I never met that man, but I know he's in the cloud of witnesses, and he's cheering me on because I have given my life to see his prophetic dream of sons of thunder filling the earth for a great harvest to come in. I'm living for his dream, and oh, how beautiful that we could give ourselves to the father's and mother's dreams and actually as sons and daughters find fulfillment in that. And here's the, the, the catch of it all. Young people, here's the deal. Millennials in the room, anyone, I would just say this, if you're not serving another person's dream, if you're not learning to serve, you'll never be a true son or daughter. And if you don't learn to be a son or daughter, you'll never have access to be a true mother or father later on in your life. Because I've seen disgruntled, bitter, poisonous older people in the church who never dealt with their crap or their hurt and they never submitted and came low and because of that they never they never were entrusted with sons and daughters and i fear to see what is actually going to happen to their legacy because it might not be very great 
You ever met those? I know you have. We all have chances. And I might just be prophesying right now. But I tell you, I, w- I want to share one story with you. This might just be for some of you here. There was a father in my life. He didn't care how anointed I was. He didn't care about how many ministry things I did. He didn't care. The first year I met with this father and he was mentoring me, I remember I'd come and try to tell him all the cool stuff I was doing. Hey, I just went over here and did ministry. 500 people were healed. And, it was, and he'd go, uh, he wouldn't acknowledge me. He would just go, so how's your wife? I mean, he would do those types of things. And I remember, I remember this one time, man, he made me so stinking angry. And I told Danielle, I said, I'm going to go to his house. We're going to meet. And I'm going to rip him. I'm going to tell him what I think of him. <laughs> I went in, and he roared at me in the love of God for two hours. And I felt like a pop can that had been squashed. And the Lord told me before I walked in the door, I said, I'm going to tell him what for. And before I walked in, the Lord said, if you'll be okay to not get what you want now, I'll give you later what you don't deserve. And I walked in and got crushed. But, you know, I was living for something bigger than myself. And and I'm even in a season now where I'm finding myself locking into that place. I just want to encourage young people in here. That um, if you if you're finding struggle and striving trying to figure out your destiny, I got I just got news for you. How about just working a freaking job and serving someone and their own vision? Some of you are looking for your wife and you're looking for your husband. How about you just look? How about you actually just? just I'm not even gonna go. I can't even go there. No, I'm not. I'm not doing marriage counseling. I'm not doing marriage counseling. And, and singles counseling. But here's, here's what I, I'm just going to tell you. If you can't find, you're, you're wondering what you're supposed to be doing, forget about it. Just like you have to find Jesus to find you, sometimes you got to serve another's dream before you can find your own. And, I, and if you don't, and I feel like God is actually asking some of you in this place to do that. And, you, and you're, you're reluctant because you're afraid you're going to lose your destiny by serving another, but it's the exact opposite that's true. You'll lose it by trying to do it yourself instead of serving another's. This is the kingdom. Welcome. Welcome. Kingdom 101. Stand with me, man. I want to just pray for you guys really quick.